millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today, we're talking about a court ruling in Berlin on illegal holiday lets, including Airbnbs that could impact the rental market significantly. Germany has been reunified since 1990, but invisible borders remain. We'll explore some of the stark differences between the former Eastern and Western states. A new right-wing political party has been launched in Germany by a very controversial figure, so we'll explain all about that and what it means. Why are people in Germany retiring later in life? We'll look at the latest figures and what they tell us. And before retirement, that's right, we have to work. We're getting into what the outlook for jobs in Germany is this year, especially for foreign residents, and we'll hear from a careers expert. I'm Rachel Oxton, and I'm here in Berlin today with journalists Paul Krantz and Rachel Stern. Hello. Hello, Rach. How are you both? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good today. Yeah, Paul, welcome to the booth. This is the first time that you've been on Germany in Focus. You are our newest journalist at the local Germany. Can you share a bit about yourself? Yeah, hi, Rach. Thanks. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm a journalist from California. I moved to Germany about three and a half years ago for a master's program in journalism, which I've since completed. And I spent the last year freelancing here based in Berlin. I would love to know, what's your favorite thing so far about living in Germany? One of the things I really enjoy about Germany is the German beer. Um, I spent <laughs> I spent last year trying to drink a different beer every day of the year. I missed a few days in there, but I did like try over 300 beers. You should make a beer calendar, the 365 days through beer, and every day you'd rip off a page and give somebody else inspiration. A page a day calendar for beers? I would, I would really enjoy that. That sounds amazing. Did you find a favorite beer in the end, a German beer? Ooh, uh, yeah. I think my favorite at the moment is Giesinger from Munich. Mm. It's a, it has a nice fruity, uh, unfiltered flavor. And we have two Californians then. Woohoo, two NorCal people in the booth. Is there a proper name for us, Paul? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's catchy. I don't think so. <laughs> Bay Arians. Bay Arians. There you go. Yeah. Even more specific. I'm outnumbered, <laughs> but we'll get through it. Before we get into it, I'm really happy to tell you that we have a sponsor for this week's episode the US tax specialist, Bright Tax. When you're an American living abroad, tax time can feel daunting, as my friends from the US have told me, and I'm sure these guys here will agree. Changes to tax law back home and dealing with paperwork here in Europe make for a complex, time-consuming process. So it's good to know that Bright Tax is there to help take the pain out of filing your US taxes. Their team of professionals simplify the process and are always there to answer your questions. 
Best of all, Bright Tax can help implement smart tax strategies to maximize your chances of a return and avoid any unwelcome surprises. Head to brighttax.com local to receive a $50 discount on your first project and discover why they are the leading online tax professionals for Americans living overseas. Now we'll get into what's been making headlines this week. First up, let's talk about a court ruling that could affect the housing market in Berlin. Berlin-Brandenburg's Upper Administrative Court found that illegal holiday lets and Airbnbs should be turned into ordinary rental flats. Rachel, can you tell us more about this court ruling? Yeah, Rach. So this new ruling basically stipulated that all illegally rented holiday flats and Airbnbs can be forced to turn into regular rentals. And it relates to a law which is known as the Misappropriation Act. And that came into force in Berlin about 10 years ago and is intended to stop the rental housing market from shrinking even more than it already is. And it restricts some properties for use as long-term rentals and prevents them from being misused as commercial or short-term properties, especially in a really tight housing market like Berlin is seeing and has been seeing for a while. For a little bit of background, um, anybody who lets a holiday flat has to apply for a special permit to do so. So this only applies to flats that had been let out without that permit. And previously, you know, this Misappropriation Act encompassed flats that had been repurposed in the last 10 years. But this new ruling states that all illegally rented flats in Berlin, um, no matter how long they had been repurposed, could now be converted back into rental properties, normal rental properties. So Berlin already has quite strict Airbnb rules, doesn't it? As you mentioned a little bit. That's right. So in Berlin, it's generally allowed to rent out a room, um, for example, through Airbnb for tourism purposes. But as soon as 50 percent or more of your place is rent out to tourists and you have to apply for a special permit. Um, And this has also been in effect for about 10 years in Berlin and a handful of other popular German cities. Okay, so what could this new ruling then mean for the Berlin rental market? Well, it could potentially have a pretty big impact. It means that hundreds, if not thousands of new flats could appear in the rental market in Mitte, Berlin's central district. And Stephanie Demlinger of the Greens is currently investigating 1,700 cases right now, but it's likely that there are also thousands of violations in other parts of the city outside of Mitte, and this law would make it much easier to turn these places into normal rentals again now that it sets a precedent for pretty much all properties out there that are illegally rented out. It's also worth noting that this isn't set in stone because of appeal could be lodged. So we will definitely have to keep our eyes on what happens next. Okay, so at the moment, it isn't legally binding, but it could be in future depending on how things go. That's right, Rach. So I think everyone is aware of the housing problems in Berlin, right? It's extremely hard to get a flat. Flat viewings get hundreds of inquiries in just a few minutes when they go online. 
Rachel, do we have any new stats that show the latest picture of the rental market in Berlin? Like, how bad is it? It's pretty bad, Rach. There's currently a vacancy rate of less than 1%, and recent estimates have shown that 20,000 new properties are needed on the market each year in order to cope with the demand. Mm -hmm. Um, And then costs are also skyrocketing. In the last seven years alone, Berlin rents have increased by 44%, while wages have increased by only 30%, according to federal data. Yeah, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say it would be really nice if these flats would come on the market much sooner. Mm-hmm. I know I'm personally in the spot of having to find a room uh, within the next month. It's a little bit daunting. Absolutely. Um, Paul, what has your experience been with finding a flat in Berlin and in just the last couple of years? Because I think we kind of date back a few years before when it was already bad. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's really rough out there now. <laughs> like uh, people talk about, I've seen people online talking about creating algorithms and bots to apply to job listings like instantaneously as they're coming online. But that's not something I have the capabilities to do. So I'm just cold calling, emailing as many people as I can and just constantly finding myself on huge waiting lists and really just hoping that a, a friend knows a friend who can find a open room for me. Yeah, and I think that that's actually still the kind of best way to do it. My neighbors, for example, they have a a little baby there and a a lovely German couple. They literally moved out last Friday just spontaneously because they told me that randomly they'd heard through a friend of a friend that they were moving flats and they had been wanting a bigger flat, you know, because they have a child now. And they just got that opportunity and they just like left. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's how kind of like crazy it can be, I think. You got to take it when you can. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you for that, guys. Germany has been reunified for more than 33 years after decades of separation. But it's well known that there are still differences between the former East and West Germany. Now maps released last week by a researcher have shone a light on the invisible borders dividing eastern and western states on a variety of topics, such as salaries, share of immigrants living in each region, and religion. Paul, you've been looking into this story. What do these maps tell us about modern-day Germany? Yeah, I think these maps show that life can still be really different for people in Germany, depending on which side of the country you're on. So this so-called phantom border follows the line that used to be the east-west border through Germany, dividing Germany through the Cold War. And Mm -hmm. we can think of it like the ghost of that border or the ghost of the division of the German people. Uh, So many of the factors that really show the phantom border are related to people's income and therefore also their wealth and their quality of life. So average monthly income is higher in the West, but that income disparity between the sides also impacts things like the number of cars per person or how likely you are to own different things like Mm -hmm. a trailer or a motorhome. One map that surprised me was there's a higher share of young people in the Western side of Germany. And I think there's probably a lot of different factors involved with that. But money obviously is a big factor when people are considering if they want to have kids. Yeah, absolutely. And the maps were so interesting to look at, weren't they? Because you really did see the the different colors from the research. So, you know, we saw the eastern states being very particular color and then the western states. And that really like visually showed you where this invisible border still lies. 
Yeah, totally. I think you really have to kind of see these pictures to understand how shocking it is. Like every little region on one side is heavily one way. And right across this kind of invisible line, things mm. are quite different. We'll definitely include a link to the tweet in the show notes, as well as the story that you wrote on this, Paul. What are some of the more unexpected differences between the former East and West that you picked up on? One difference that really took me by surprise was that the West has way more tennis courts. That's pretty random. What is it about tennis courts? Do people have or did they have less free time or less resources to play tennis? Yeah, so I looked a little bit into it and it turns out that in the German Democratic Republic or uh, the former Eastern Germany, tennis was generally seen as a sport of the bourgeois. So oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was just it wasn't cool to be a tennis player in, in East Germany. And so the state wasn't really interested in making the courts, whereas in the West, tennis got really popular among the middle class. And so now if you live in West Germany, you are way more likely to have a tennis court nearby. A few other interesting ones I saw was that East Germany is home to far more Olympic medal winners and it has way more graffiti. The West has a higher rate of organ donation. Wow, these are so interesting. I wonder why East Germany or the former East Germany has more Olympic medal winners. I looked a little bit into that too. I think the Soviet Union was really into the Olympic Games as like a propaganda mechanism and mm -hmm. East Germany basically followed that. Uh, so they were just really rigorous about training athletes and using every tactic they could to get their athletes to be the best of the best. So it's kind of like this hangover from the separation and we're still seeing these kind of policy that were there then or social effects that are still continuing now. Yeah, exactly. What do people say about this phantom divide between East and West? Is it seen as a problem, Paul? I think it is. Yeah, when you look at all these differences between the East and the West, particularly the economic differences, I think it's fair to say that the two halves of the same country here have different, wildly different standards of living. And some see this fact as, as quite troubling. I recently spoke with Miriam Witz from Mind Grund Einkommen, which is a startup researching universal basic income here in Germany. Mm -hmm. So we weren't really talking about the East-West divide, but we were addressing poverty and low-income households uh, more generally. And she kind of summed up this idea that a lack of money and a lack of basic comforts or security really makes people more vulnerable to populist or alt-right ideologies. And I think we see that now in voting patterns in Eastern Germany, where the far-right AFD party is tends to be way more popular in the former Eastern states. And so now we have this debate about how to deal with far-right political parties in Germany. I mean, this has long been a topic here, yeah. and it's really sparked by recent protests. But I think any steps we could take or that policy leaders could put forward to kind of address the economic equality or lack thereof between East and West Germany would really be a good step in the direction of addressing that. Definitely. It seems like a lot of people in the former East feel very left behind and like economically, socially, and in so many ways, they're not really being taken seriously. And this is where this kind of anger has boiled up and has led them to turn to more populist parties like the off day. Yeah, exactly. Really interesting stuff. Thank you both so much for that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. We're moving on to some political news now. The former head of Germany's domestic intelligence service, Hans-Georg Maaßen, has launched a new right-wing political party. The Werte Union or Values Union is based on a breakaway group from the CDU or Christian Democrats, and it's aiming to fill the gap for voters between the CDU and the far-right AFD or AFD. Rachel, can you tell us more about Hans-Georg Maaßen? Because he is really controversial guy. That's right, he is. Um, Maaßen was formerly a CDU member, but he left the party at the end of January this year after numerous attempts to eject him had failed. He has a legal background and he's best known as being the former president of the Office for the Protection of the Constitution. Try saying that 10 times fast. Between 2012 and 2018, Even during that time, he held very far-right views. He was known as being very publicly critical of Merkel's decision to let in refugees during the crisis in 2015. That's the, the former Chancellor Angela Merkel. That's right. So according to reports in Spiegel, Maaßen allegedly stopped an investigation into the AfD during his tenure there. And he's also accused of advising the party directly on how not to attract the authorities' attention. And pretty remarkably, even the intelligence agency he worked for, so his former bosses, has flagged him up as a potential right-wing extremist. Mm, Yeah, he is talked about a lot in the German media, has been for several years. So what exactly is the Werte Union and why is it now a political party? So the Werte Union basically fills a niche which its founders didn't think existed before, kind of being somewhere in between the CDU and the AfD. They already existed as a group before their official founding as a political party. They also came up against a lot of controversy recently when it was reported that two members of the group were at a far-right meeting in November in Potsdam which talked about plans to expel foreigners. That's right. Oh, we talked a lot about that meeting in a few episodes ago. So what does this party stand for, Rachel? And who do they want to join them and vote for them? Yeah, so the party is basically known for its hard-right economic policies and anti-migrant stance. It claims to share a lot of the values as the center-right CDU, but they want the government to have less of a heavy hand in people's 
lives. And Maasen has said that he wants to fill a gap in German politics between the CDU, which he's called too moderate, and the AfD, which he's deemed as too extreme. And he's previously said quote unquote, we stand for classic civil values that have made Germany strong and ultimately shaped the CDU. And notably, the Werte Union is also strongly against green policies, such as the transition to eco-friendly heating and electric vehicles. And they're hoping to attract both CDU voters and AfD voters. And Mm -hmm. one example is that Maasen is even pitching so-called taster memberships to CDU and CSU members that allow them to get involved with the Werte Union for a year without forfeiting their membership. Oh, that's so interesting. Like, can he do that? (laughs) Offer taster (laughs) memberships. That's so funny. Yeah, I didn't even think that was a thing. Are they expected to get very far in politics? Well, with elections coming up later this year in three eastern German states, there is a slight possibility that they could attract voters in an area already very popular with the AfD. They're already polling over 30 percent in some regions that will be having elections later this year. However, political scientists are skeptical that the Werte Union can carve out their own niche among the competition. However, the launch of the party is well-timed for the Werte Union to act as a potential coalition party to the AfD um, in lieu of other political support. And it can make it even harder for other parties to form governing coalitions if the vote is broken up even more. And the party also marks the emergence of yet another controversial right-wing party and could potentially mark the political scene in Germany drifting even more to the right. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Happens, I guess it's really interesting. Thank you for that, Rachel. Another story that we've been talking about this week at The Local is the number of people in Germany who are choosing to continue working after they reach retirement age. So let's discuss some of the reasons that this could be happening. Paul, what do the latest figures show on how long people are working in Germany? So basically more people in their 60s are working longer in Germany. If we look at people who are aged 63 to 67, the number of working people in that group rose by 26.2% in just the past three years. It's pretty significant. Yeah. Some of these people are choosing to work beyond the retirement age or beyond the age when they receive pension payouts. What is the retirement age in Germany? So currently, Germany's standard pension age is 66, and that's set to gradually increase to 67 by 2031. So the pension age in Germany has been kind of steadily creeping up by a couple months each year for Mm -hmm. several years already. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's going to go up further by the time that we have to retire. It does seem to be the way it's going. Why are more people tending to work into their late 60s then? Mostly for two reasons we're hearing. First, there are low-income earners who simply can't afford to retire, basically. Or they can't afford to maintain a comfortable lifestyle with the pension payments that they receive. So according to Matthias Birkwald, who is a pensions expert for Die Linke, the left party in Germany, about half of people who are 65 or older have a monthly income around 1,250 euros monthly. Mm -hmm. 
at their disposal. So yeah, you can kind of see how it could be hard to live on that for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Especially with rents going up, yeah. for example. Yeah, and that's that's half of people. So there might be some people living on significantly less than that. And then on the other hand, there are people who probably could afford to retire or definitely could afford to retire, but choose not to because basically they like their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people tend to be higher educated, so they're probably not doing much physical labor and they might enjoy the social or intellectual elements of their work. I mean, in some cases, I think people just prefer to go out and have something to do. Absolutely. And on the topic of people struggling in Germany, one thing I do notice here is that you do often see older people, for example, looking in bins and things. I And I think looking for empty bottles. Collecting which you, the fund. Exactly. Yeah. Which you get money for in Germany when you return it to a supermarket. That to me was a sign like, wow, do you really struggle here when you get to an older age if, if you don't have, for example, a private pension or something? Yeah, I guess it really makes one wonder to what extent are people in these positions really depending on that extra disposable income or... Mm-hmm. Or just living a thrifty lifestyle. But yeah, it's safe to say uh, they could use a bit more money. So we've just talked about the end of working life. Let's chat about how things look for people still in the working period of their life. We're looking at today what the job market is like in Germany at the moment. What's going on? So we're going to hear soon from a careers expert helping internationals in Germany find work. But first, let's chat about the companies we've been seeing cutting jobs at the moment. So, Rachel, can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure, Rach. So Germany has really been struggling economically as of today, Wednesday. The newest figures showed that the economy is only expected to grow by 0.2% this year. And basically ever since Russia's invasion of Ukraine almost exactly two years ago, Germany has been struggling. So due to the higher general cost of a lot of large companies in Germany have recently announced job cuts. Sometimes it hasn't just been higher product costs, but also, for example, eventually replacing more positions with AI or not having as much of a demand for their products. But as a whole, we have heard of many large and medium-sized companies announcing large layoffs lately. So to give you a few example, um, software company SAP wants to cut around 8,000 jobs worldwide, and the company has said that they're in the midst of a reorganization and want to focus more on their business with AI products in the future. Automotive parts manufacturer Continental, meanwhile, wants to axe 7,150 jobs, and that applies to worldwide jobs, but it's also going to affect positions in Germany. And it's certain that around 1,000 jobs will be cut in administration while R&D is also set to be merged. And Deutsche Bank also announced a cost-cutting program, which would result in the loss of 800 jobs um, and up to 3,500 jobs by the end of 2025. Mm -hmm. And there's just a whole other slew of companies that have announced various cuts, including auto manufacturers like Mercedes-Benz and VW, on top of a large number of companies which, you know, work with a lot of foreigners like Salando here in Berlin. 
Mm -hmm. And what about the sectors that have quite a few job openings? Because it's not all terrible out there, right? That's right. It's definitely not all doom and gloom, especially since Germany has a huge shortage of skilled workers in many fields. Just a few days ago, techies had reason to rejoice. Microsoft said that they were opening new cloud centers in Cologne and Frankfurt um, and also creating a lot of jobs which would focus on AI. But it's not just tech fields which are hiring If you're a qualified nurse, for example, you're almost guaranteed to land a job in Germany because that's a profession where Germany's always struggling to find qualified workers. And in general, in the STEM and healthcare fields, there is a huge need um, and a lot of job openings at the moment for professionals from abroad. And as we've written about at the local, there is the blue card, which makes it easier for workers in these professions, including those that come from outside of the EU, to come over here. And then yet more good news, a recent Bertelsmann Foundation study found that warehouse workers and as a whole administrative staff are also um, in pretty high demand. And As Paul wrote about last month, um, several companies in Bavaria, like Adidas, for example, are also on the lookout for qualified English-speaking employees. Startups also always a good place for English speakers to look for jobs in Germany. Funny enough, I just saw a recent article that was looking at Munich and claiming that Munich is trying to be like the Silicon Valley of Germany which is probably a bit of a stretch. But between there and Berlin and North Rhine-Westphalia, I think there's a lot of German-based startups out there to look into. Absolutely. Let's hear now from Kevin Kocher, who is the managing director of Immigrant Spirit, which helps foreign nationals living here and abroad find a job in Germany and gives careers advice. Regular listeners might remember that we previously interviewed Chris Piak, who is the founder of Immigrant Spirit. So Chris has now passed the baton on to Kevin, who's taken over. And just to give you a bit of background, Kevin is originally from Seattle in the United States. He came to study in Berlin in 2017 and then decided he wanted to move to Germany. And he actually went through the Immigrant Spirit program in 2021 with Chris and is now based in Hamburg. I started off by asking Kevin what the outlook for 2024 is for foreign job seekers in Germany after the pretty difficult year of 2023. Yeah, it's a sketchy situation. And uh, I think it's going to be more the same from last year. Unfortunately, there's a lot of turmoil right now and turnover in the job market. The situation as I see it is there's a lot of people looking around looking for something new. And you combine that with the layoff, this is making there be a very competitive atmosphere right now. So even if people are in work, a lot of people are unsatisfied with their benefits or their home office allowance, especially. So these are contested points that people think they can go somewhere else and easily get their way into a better situation. And then there are a lot of people getting laid off as well. So this makes the competition for good roles very high. From speaking to clients, what are you finding to be the biggest challenges at the moment when searching for a job in Germany as a foreigner? Yes, there's a number of problems or a number of challenges. And at the top of the list is not speaking fluent German, because if you don't have C-level German, the fact is that most companies will not evaluate your candidacy. 
or they will. And uh, it's coming inevitably that there's going to be a wall of you needing to have this certain qualification because it will change the entire dynamic of how a workplace wants to be structured. If they've already decided that they want to speak in German, then someone coming in and changing their speaking, it's going to make it a little bit more complicated for hiring that person. So that's one of the biggest challenges is learning German to a point and getting up to a speed to where you can feel comfortable enough to be in an interview and then actually secure a job and prove that you can be flexible and still learn German on the job. And the other big issue right now is just, like I said earlier, the number of people that are applying for new jobs right now. Which German companies do you see hiring a lot of English speakers at the moment? Well, the two big ones that are classic are Zalando and Adidas. So Zalando, major company in Berlin, also highly competitive, always has English speaking roles, as well as Adidas. Everyone knows Adidas. And you know, somewhere that's in the countryside in Bavaria might prove to be suitable in the sense that they're going to hire because it's not a big location desire to be in, away from one of these big cities. Those are two clear ones. There's other companies like American companies that have presences here that I've heard, you know, like Freshworks in Berlin as well. Uh, you've got uh, Ninja One in Berlin as well, I believe, and it recently was hiring English speakers. So you've got uh, a few there, but yeah, I mean, the main idea is that there's you know, 350 companies, I believe, that post or they hire half of all current hires in the English speaking market. So it's very limited. Do you think that we're seeing a bit more flexibility from German companies on this, Kevin? I know we talked about this quite a bit with Chris Piak before. He kind of thought that German companies weren't as flexible as they could be when it came to hiring, for example, English speakers. I think it's getting a little bit better. It's inevitable now. People have heard the the numbers, how many people are leaving the workforce and becoming pensioners, retiring, and the number of new people coming in, in in Germany. It doesn't fit, it doesn't match. So there's a need for international workers. And the number is between three and 500,000, but one would say 400,000 on average every year to fill these gaps. So people are going to come to terms eventually that the roles are going to need to be filled. If there's people flowing in from other countries that are learning German that can at least show the motivation to do it, then this is going to be the key because it's quite hard to become business level fluent. And in the meantime, you're applying to other jobs, not only in Germany. And so if there's another job offer that comes up outside of Germany. Well, maybe companies could lose that person to another country. I think it's it's improving, but there's still more flexibility to be had because you see the limited job posts in English or that, are, that accept lower than C-level German. It's a big year for changes to work visas in Germany. So we have the coalition government's new job seekers visa, which is a, the Schonsenkarte, which is coming into force around June. Do you think it will mm. encourage a lot more people from non-EU countries to come to Germany to live and work? It should, in principle, yes. I think these things, they can do nothing but help in theory. Because, you know, you have something like the blue card, you look back the last 10 years, it brought an additional 60,000 workers. So it's not that much. It's not that significant, actually, but it is something. So I think with these things, Johnson card, blue card, you've got good attempts, you know, at least to, to write the correct narrative or to show that there's an effort. And it does help in a little bit, but there's other things that need to be corrected as well, which like we already talked about, the deeper problem of the employer flexibility and openness to hiring people that are learning German and they're not quite C2 level. So these are good things. They help, but there should be more to come in order to really make an impact. 
That's it for this week. Thank you so much to you, all our listeners. As always, we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. It would really mean a lot to us if you hit follow, left a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you enjoyed this episode. This week's panellists have been Rachel Stern and Paul Krantz. Our guest was Kevin Kocher and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Rachel Loxton. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.